Good evening. When uh, Allison was in the hospital, I think we sang that song at least three times a day to her while she was in a coma. In Spanish, Cristo me ama. And uh, everybody in the pediatrics ward knew that Jesus loved them. All the parents, all the children, uh, maybe the little babies didn't quite understand what we were saying, but their parents did. They all knew that Jesus loved the little children of the world, red and yellow and black and white, and all are precious in his sight. Um, they're simple songs uh, that convey a lot of truth. And they convey it in such a way that all the parents, when they left, they had those songs all memorized. Did you know that? That's one of the ways the Lord saved me. The preacher preached on John 3.16, and by the end of his preach, I had John 3.16 memorized. And so his word was abiding in me. I wasn't abiding in him yet, but he was... His word was abiding in me. And a couple of months later, a brother was finishing a series of messages from John 15. And he asked if we abide in him and he abides in us, or if his word abides in I'm forgetting how it goes now. I shouldn't forget. Uh, but I am forgetting. It wasn't part of what I was thinking about this afternoon. Uh, but you have to ask what you will, and it shall be given, says John 15. And he says, it's a matter of your will whether you get saved or not, you know. God will never force you to get saved. All you have to do is cry unto him, and he will save you. All who cry unto him, none will ever be ashamed, you know. And so those sweet truths in that song, I know a lot of people are trying to move away from the the simple songs, uh, although I guess the, uh, some of the songs that we're learning today and are not all that difficult to learn, they're sort of, they call them 7-Eleven songs, some of them. They say they're seven words repeated 11 times. Uh, it's not quite that, but these classic ones, uh, we would call classic, proclaim a lot of truth, and we dare not forget their beauty of them. The next Sunday, you're going to have some Swedish Christians here, I imagine. I was learning about all new kinds of Christians while I was in Canada. There are SMOs, Sunday morning only Christians. There were C and E Christians. Those are Christmas and Easter. And I learned about kettle Christians. They're the ones when the water starts boiling, they start tooting. And so when the going gets tough in their lives, they start going out to meeting. And then there were Swedish Christians. And I didn't quite understand what Swedish Christians were, so he had to explain it. And he said, well, the word smorgasbord is a Swedish word. And whenever there's a potluck or a smorgasbord, they come out. 
And so next week, Lord willing, you will have some Swedish Christians amongst you, and they will hear the gospel, and by God's grace, they might be saved. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 again. We were thinking of Matthew chapter 12 this morning and the three times that Jesus himself proclaims that he is greater. He was greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, and greater than Solomon. And we were thinking a little bit that he's showing his offices as priests, being greater than the temple, as prophet, being greater than Jonah, and as king, being greater than Solomon. And we were thinking of these a little bit this morning, that he was greater than the temple. He was, there's no one better for us to build our lives around and upon. There's no one better to center our lives and, and plan our lives around and upon than the Lord Jesus. The Jews planned their lives around the temple, its services, its sacrifices, its feasts. And we need to do that too. Because greater than the temple is here. And this evening we'd like to think about the last two. We'll see if I can set a record. Verse 38. Then a certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, the greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And we'd like to consider these two sayings of the Lord Jesus tonight, that he's greater than Jonah and that he's greater than Solomon. So let's take a look at Jonah chapter 3 to begin with or to continue with. Jonah chapter 3. There was Jonah. He's preaching away. And I think he only preached one message in one day. I could be wrong. But he was there in the, the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah up on dry land. And verse 1 of chapter 3 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Noah a second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Greater than Jonah. 
they were asking for a sign. Show us a sign. What, were the, what was the purpose of the sign? What is the purpose of a sign today? Well, signs indicate where something is, don't they? So if we were walking down the street and we saw a pole with white and red stripes on it going down in a, in a, in a fashion, spiraling down or spiraling up, depending on whether the glass is half full or half empty, and we'd see this pole with a red and white going up it, we wouldn't think that that means Canada or Japan or something like that. We think that means a barber shop. But the, the pole isn't the barber shop. It indicates where the barber shop is. Or if we say, see a sign that says Claremont, eight kilometers, we don't stop at the sign and say, oh, we've made it to Claremont. No, it's a sign indicating where something is. And beloved, that's what signs in Scripture, that's what signs in everyday life do. They indicate the position or the location of something. Now, unfortunately, in today's Christianity, a lot of people get to the sign that says Claremont 8 kilometers, or sorry, miles, and they stop their car, and they pull over, or I guess they pull over on the side of the road, and then they stop their car, and they get out, and they start to do a little jig. We made it to Claremont. And they focus on the sign. But the sign doesn't indicate that you've arrived yet, does it? The sign indicates that there's something further on. And you just keep on going till you get there. Now, these men were asking for a sign. And they should have known what the signs are. Isaiah 35 clear, spoke clearly about these are the things the Messiah would do. The dumb would speak, the blind would see, the lame would jump. Isaiah chapter 7 would tell us a, a virgin will conceive. All sorts of prophetic things that would come into focus when the Messiah would come, and they should have recognized it. And so Jesus says, you're not going to get a sign. You're an evil and adulterous generation. Now, adulterous means to change the purpose of something. To change the consistency. So if we get something that's adultered, it doesn't mean just sex outside of the, the, the marriage bond, but if we get a document that's been adultered, what does that mean? It's been changed from its original purpose, doesn't it? And they're changing the purpose of the signs. They're focusing in on the signs. And it's an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. But, but no sign's going to be given you except for Jonah. It was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. But then he goes on and he, he says, you know, the, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment against this generation. For they heard the preaching of Jonah, and they repented. And I suppose the question I ask myself when I read the Scriptures here is, what do I do when God says something? We just finished reading, they believed God. 
Do we believe God? Do we really, 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 really believe God? Or 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 is he sometimes in our lives like we we believe in Jesus for our salvation, but the rest of our lives we're gonna live on our own? Can I really trust and rest in him? We were noticing that there's a lot of trees coming down Indian Hill Boulevard that are losing their leaves. And I looked at my watch and it says it's July. It's not September or October, November. They shouldn't be losing their leaves yet. And Leo reminded me of the blessed man who's like a tree planted by the waters whose leaves never dry up and wither. He meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Do we really believe? Because sometimes when those trials come to our lives, that's when the, that's, when our, that's when it becomes really important to us. Do we have that shield of faith? Because faith comes by hearing and the hearing from the Word of God. That when those fiery darts from the devil come, and there were, we're not really sure exactly where they're coming from. It's like sniper fire, except they're fiery darts. And, and when they come alongside, are we... Is our faith strong enough? Is our faith solid enough? Is our trust and belief in the Lord great enough that when those trials come, we're able to stand? Because we're not strong in our own selves, but we're strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Because those trials come. Those difficulties come. The problems come. And do we believe God? It's oftentimes in the trials of life is sometimes we, we say it separates the sheep from the goats. There are some who in the trials of life are, are just taken away from God and they try to do things in their own strength. And they leave the, the paths of righteousness forever because they haven't believed God. They believed God. Someone once said, you know, when you sin, you're a practical atheist. Atheists don't believe in God. And they don't believe God either. And, and in our lives, do we really, 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 really believe God? Our, why do we work? Well, we've got the mortgage to pay, we've got our credit cards to pay, we've got these bills and that bill to pay. You know, that that's not why you work. The Bible says you don't work for money. Look in those fields. See those lilies? See those flowers growing there? Not even Solomon in all his glory and all his splendor was arrayed like one of these. 
Take a look at those birds. You know, they don't, they don't sow. They don't harvest. But your heavenly Father feeds them. So you, when you go to work, you don't be like the Gentiles who go to work to money, to get money. But you, when you work, you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, your food and your clothing, whatever it takes to pay your bills, they'll be added. Do we really, really, really believe God? They believed God and, and they repented. Sometimes I wonder why. Why did they believe Jonah's message? It says it's a big city of three days' journey, and he just began in the first day, and he it, 40 days, God's gonna zap this place off the face of the earth. Well, that's Trevor's version of a paraphrase of what it says, but that's essentially what he's saying. And it said they believed. Now, Jonah's message wasn't a very positive or uplifting message, but they believed. And you know, beloved, we have a better message. If God is for us, who can be against us? We're no longer slaves to sin, but servants of righteousness. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. Though He is with us always, even to the end of the age. We don't have to do things in our own strength anymore. Even better that we're not supposed to even try. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Without me, you can do nothing. But with him, all things. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Ephesians 6 would tell us. Isn't it a better message than in 40 days God's going to zap you? And they believed God. You ever wonder why with that kind of message? Well, obviously the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Some would say. And I suppose that is true. What do you think Jonah looked like? After being three days and three nights in a fish's belly, All that stomach acid. What do you think that did to his skin? You know, some people put on these chemical masks to rejuvenate their faces. And, and sometimes you leave them on just a minute too long and you've got unfixable chemical burns on your face. What do you think three days and three nights in stomach acid would do to your skin? What do you think he looked like? Pasty white? No more melanoma in his skin. It was all gone. Not melanoma. Melan melanin, sorry. 
There probably wouldn't be any melanoma. There wouldn't be any cancers. They'd all be gone too. What do you think he looked like? There he was, covered in vomit, walks into the city, preaches this message. Because I've often wondered, why, why would they listen to this message? Jonah doesn't tell him to do nothing. He just says, in 40 days, God's going to wipe this place off the face of the earth. Just like, this is the morning news. Here we go. This is the headline. In 40 days, God's going to zap Nineveh off the face of the earth. And that's all he preached. Why would they believe? There wasn't really anything to believe. Why would they repent? They were never called to repentance. I wonder if it's because of what Jonah looked like. Maybe he's saying something and we've got to fix something in our lives. You know, he was a picture of the resurrection, three days and three nights. I wonder sometimes if, if people don't believe us because we don't really live the resurrected life. Paul would write to the Philippians and say, oh, that I would know him and the, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There was something different that Paul had the, the, the desire to have the power of the resurrection. Let me live the resurrection life. It's a new life. We're new creations. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. We've been born again, born from above, born spiritually. All things are new. The old things have passed away. In some way, somehow, there are a lot of Christians. I was talking with this pastor one day, a youth pastor, I suppose is a better way to say it. He counsels his young people, about 500 of them, to abstain from sex for the first six months of their relationship. Not for the whole time until they're married, And then they wonder why they have some pregnant girls in the meeting there. Well, I'm not a rocket scientist or anything. Um, I don't know, there's George back there. He was a rocket scientist, I suppose. But I'm not. And uh, I just put one and one together, and I came up with two. You know, you play with fire, you get burned. That's simple rule. Where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> and they're not living the resurrected life. They're not believing God. Flee from fornication, says the scriptures. That means run away. Pretend you're Joseph. Leave your coat behind if necessary. Just get out of there ASAP. And I wonder if sometimes people don't believe our messages because our message isn't done with us living the resurrected life. With our eyes heavenly bound. With our hopes and dreams in places in the heavens. Jonah must have been a sight. Must have looked like garbage. It looked like vomit. 
we might say something the cat, cat coughed up. Very odd and, and peculiar. That's what Peter deigns to call us, isn't it? We're a, a, a chosen people, a, a peculiar people, a peculiar people called out for, for his purposes, to show forth his glories. The one who called us from darkness into his marvelous light. That we would offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to him. The people believed Jonah. And beloved, greater than Jonah is here. He promised to be with us always. He lives in us, as a matter of fact. And he walks with us and he talks with us along life's roads. Just like he talked to the two on the road to Emmaus. But you know, sometimes we don't believe. Because our lives are making way too much noise. And beloved, we need to live the resurrected life. He goes on to, to talk about the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. Let's look at Second Chronicles 9. Second Chronicles 9 and verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem. With a very great company and camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. And there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he built and the meat or the food of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers also in their apparel and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. There is no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in mine own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom, howbeit I believed not their words until I came. And my eyes had seen it, and behold, one half of thy greatness, of thy wisdom was not told me. For thou exceedest the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, and happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee. And hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on his house, to be king for the Lord thy God. Because thy God loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore made he king, thee king over them, to do judgment and justice. Here we have the story of the queen of the south. She came from a far away land to see if it was true. She came to prove him, to see if everything she heard was true or not. And when she came, 
and she saw and she heard. She said, you know what? I didn't believe this story when I first heard it, so I came to see if it was true. And you know what? One half of the story wasn't told to me. And she's going to rise up in judgment against this generation. Particularly, I suppose, in, to those scribes and Pharisees that were there at that time. But I was wondering when I was reading it, what about me? The Queen of Sheba took her time. She took her talent. She took her treasure to see if it was true or not. And when she got there, she found out the half was not told. When she, she brought all, it says she communed with him all the things in her heart. And I wonder sometimes, do I commune with God all the things that are on my heart? Every detail. We got sticker shock when we went to Vancouver. We went to the, the store just to buy the, the staples for, for the apartment because you get there, there's not a whole lot, so you've got to buy flour. And we go through the, the teller, and I wasn't particularly watching, and, and she said, would you like the, the prize? And I thought I won something. I said, well, what prize? Well, for everybody that spends over $250, they get a free prize. It wasn't really free. You had to pay $250 to get it. <laughs> and we didn't even have meat in the cart. It was just vegetables and flour and sugar and pepper and salt. And, and we got a little bit of sticker shock. It was a little bit unbelievable. But we just sort of go down the aisle and, okay, we'll probably need that. And not really looking at the prices. And, and then I was wondering, you know, wonder, wonder if I should be Maybe I should have asked God what we should be putting in our cart or not. Do we commune with God all the things on our hearts? Not just the big decisions. Should I marry this person? What job should I do? Where should I live? How should I answer the telephone? What message should I leave on my telephone? How should I greet people? Who should we have over this week? Who shouldn't we have over this week? Who should I phone today? Who shouldn't I phone today? Who should I write a letter to? When should I do this and when should I do that? I don't want to exclude the big things in life. Of course we're going to pray. But usually we, we pray for those big things. And she communed with him of all the things in her heart. And, and Solomon answered everything. And he answered them so well that when she was done, there was no more spirit left in her. And she came to the only logical conclusion that the half hasn't been told. And beloved, 
when you commune with God and he tells you all the answers to all the things in your heart, you know how you're left? Broken? Spilled out? And with the realization that God is greater than anybody, than anything, and there's no other that I would rather follow after. Oh, Solomon might have been the fairest of 10,000. He might have been the altogether lovely one. But beloved, greater than Solomon is here. He's not just the epitome of wisdom. He is wisdom. Solomon was known as the greatest lover. He doesn't love you more than Jesus loves you. This I know. The Bible tells us so. We look at Calvary's cross. And we ask, Lord, what hast thou done? Like we were thinking this morning. And we truly understand that a greater than Solomon was in our presence. The Queen of Sheba took her time. She took her treasure. She took her talents and, and went away to see if it was true. To, to see if it was right. To see, to see if there was somebody like that. She heard the stories and she had to find out if it was true for herself. Beloved, we're blessed in, in English. We have so many books at our disposal. We read them and we might read of Jim Elliot. We might read of Elizabeth Elliot. We might read of Pearl Winterburn or Ed Harlow. Might read of Ray Lynch in a book. <laughs> we read the stories of saints in times past. We think about Hudson Taylor and, and William Carey. We think of Bill McDonald. We think of men and women who, who followed after God. And sometimes we wonder if it's true. But we never take our time. We never take our money. We never take our talents to find out if it's true or not. I remember in 1996 meeting a man named Ernest Wilson. He was in a wheelchair in 1996. It was June. And I knelt beside him and I just chatted with him for an hour. And he told me story after story. And I'd ask him question after question. It was, it was a wonderful time. And part of, 
Ernest Wilson's testimony is that in 1924 he was given a gold sovereign when he left the UK to go out on the mission field. He went to Portugal first to learn Portuguese and the fellow said, you know, God's going to supply all your needs. Use this if you need to. And Mr. Wilson put it in his pocket and he still had it in 1996. He died a couple of months later. The Lord called him home. Sometimes I wonder if the Lord kept Mr. Wilson around just for an idiot like me to hear the story, to see if it was true. In July of that year, I was, had to be at a Bible camp and I had promised a brother that I would work at the Bible camp. And we were there Wednesday and on Wednesday a brother came up to do the camp inspection to make sure everything was going well and he gave me a gift. $200 cash. And when I got it, I said, you know, Lord, you're the same God as Mr. Wilson. And I gave $100 to another missionary. I wasn't even a missionary at that time, I suppose. And I put $100 in my wallet. Just to prove God, to see if it's true. Would he supply all my needs? And you know, I still have that $100 in my wallet. There have been times when we were scraping the pot of, for beans. <laughs> and I never remembered that $100 was there. <laughs> and then when we had some money, when you don't have money, you don't open your wallet very often, I suppose. And so I opened my wallet to put some money in, and hey, you know, I had $100 here. And I still have it. We went into the hospital when Allison went in, and we didn't have any medical insurance at all. Six weeks in ICU. The children would come in with broken arms, and, and to me, in my simplistic thinking, a broken arm is an easy thing. That's just sort of, you know, it's a routine, not an easy thing, but it's a routine. People break their arms all the time, and They, their mom would go to check them out and shh, I have to pay $50 still. The Lord gave us an opportunity to, to help them with their bills so they could check out of the hospital. I think probably in that first month we gave away probably $10,000 helping other people. We, we don't have a whole lot of money, you know. But we have a God who, who does. And you know, it was the time of influenza, H1N1. All the children in ICU had a fungal infection in their blood from the hospital. And the hospital didn't have any fluconazole, which is an antifungal medication. $280 a day. Four doses, $70 a dose. Most of the people around us only made 10 or 15, maybe if they were really well off, $20 a day. And we made a lot of phone calls, and a lot of people made phone calls for us. And, and you know, all those kids got their doses of medication. When we left the hospital, 
We owed nothing. We had strange things happen that there was a $3,000 shunt put in Allison's body. In the hospital, she said to Lael, you know, we're going to pay for that. You know, if I was thinking about myself and people gave us gifts, I would have probably kept all 10000 of those dollars. But beloved, greater than Solomon is here. And the queen of Sheba went out to prove and see if it was true. And beloved, like the queen of Sheba, I say to you, the half of his glory of his beauty, of his wisdom, has not been told. And most of us have never even searched for it. To see if, to see if it's true. And I suppose the, the challenge for this evening, besides is whether or not we're living the resurrected life or not, is do we really want to find out if it's true or not? Is God all that? Or is it just a fairy tale? The half hasn't been told, beloved. John wrote, you know, if, if all the libraries were written about the things that Jesus said and did, I suppose all the libraries of the world would not contain those stories. And I would imagine even this evening if we just asked each believer for a little story this evening. Just tell us a little story of how you've seen God's greatness and His glory. We'd be here for a very long time. But when it all is said and done, do we really, 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 really believe God? Someone once said, you know, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's part of it that doesn't quite believe yet, but just help that part, please. And I think that's in most of us. And maybe that's our prayer this evening. Lord, we believe. We believe you're greater than the temple. We believe that you're greater than Jonah, Lord. We believe you're greater than Solomon but help our unbelief, please. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we believe. In God and Father, the creator of heavens and earth, we believe in Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that he died for our sins. And we believe that he was buried. And we believe that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. We believe. We believe that you are the almighty, most holy God of love. Because you are love. That you are wisdom. that you are righteous. But Father, sometimes, for some reason, 
some way, somehow, sometimes we don't believe. And Father, we pray you forgive us and that you would help our unbelief. That some way, somehow in our lives we would live the resurrected life day in and day out, hour in and hour out, minute in and minute out. Sometimes we wonder what will life be like if we really believe. Would the lame walk? Would the dumb speak? Would the blind see? Would the sick be healed? Because Jesus would be living in us. And so our prayer is, Father, that you would help our unbelief. All those little nooks and all those little crannies of unbelief. Fill them up with belief. That when the message that we share that is so much better than Jonah's, people would believe God. And we would say of your glory and your beauty and your wisdom that the half has not been told. So help us, Father. This is our desire to be like Jesus. 